Blog Talk Radio. So, 
you know, to to not start on such a somber note, but um, I do want to touch on the news really quick. And for those of you that want to follow along, you can log into uh, my website, wearenotcattle.net. You can click on the radio show microphone. It'll take you to the link for Wednesday's documents. So you can follow along as we go. And as we sift through the information and funnel through it, you'll uh, you'll be able to pull pull up the article that I'm referencing, follow along, read the headline with me if you will. But there's some um some interesting stuff going on today. Um first headline is Ben Bernanke warns lawmakers nation is headed for a massive financial cliff or fiscal cliff, excuse me. You know, this is something that I've that I've been harping on to to everybody that I know for the past 6 months. And everybody kind of looks at me like I'm crazy. Well, it's not crazy, guys. It's mathematics. What we're doing now is unsustainable. And anybody that tells you otherwise is not being real with you, and they're not being real with themselves. So the article kind of touches on, you know, Bernanke basically mentions, and I'll take a couple of quotes from it. Um, Under the current law on January 1st, 2013, there's going to be a massive fiscal cliff of large spending cuts and tax increases. And this is Ben Bernanke telling this to the House Financial Services Committee. I hope that Congress will look at and look at it and figure out ways to achieve long-term fiscal improvement without having all of this happen in one date. Basically, he's talking about the Bush tax cuts will come up um, January 1st, 2013. And so the the backlash of those tax cuts expiring if they don't get renewed will be the fact that our GDP growth will be down from 2.6 where 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 it is currently it'll drop to 1%. That's devastating. That means non-sustainable growth that is very very devastating. Now, ironically Ben Bernanke is the one that's kind of pointing this out, but He's the one going through QE1, QE2, and now we're talking about QE3. For those that don't know the economic terms, QE1, QE2, and QE3, it's quantitative easing. Basically, he just adds more money into the money supply. Since the private Federal Reserve, once again, private bank, issues our currency, then he determines the rate of inflation and deflation. And if you look back through the archives of my website, you'll read um, you'll read a speech that he gave back in, I believe it was 2006, but don't quote me on that. And that's why I linked to it on the site. And he talks about exactly what he's going to do, about how if we get into a certain situation, he's going to print money. And the prices of gold and silver are going to go up and up and up, and he's going to try to print more paper money in order to counter that. And that kind of piggybacks into the next article. Both of these, by the way, were from the Hill newspaper, um, part of their blog also. And this is Ron Paul returns to D.C. to to assail Bernanke. Basically, Ron Paul points out the obvious. You're printing paper fake fiat money which the Weimar Republic did before they went belly up. That's why it's often returned to or termed to as a as a Weimar Republic when you start printing money out of control. And just to give you a quick history lesson, in the Weimar Republic, 
people would walk around with barrels of money, and the thieves would actually come and steal the wheelbarrow instead of the money because the wheelbarrow was worth more than the fiat currency that they have. And this is a situation that we're vastly approaching here in the United States, and Raw Paul calls him on it. And this article kind of sums up what what he talks about. We don't have smart enough money. And then Ron Paul basically says, he says, well, the Fed's going to self-destruct eventually anyway, so I'm not really worried about it. He understands Austrian economics. He understands supply and demand. He understands what's going to happen if you flood the marketplace with paper money, what's going to happen. It's going to lose its value. And his analogy was he's he held up – a, a silver coin, and I'll actually hyperlink to this video later. I probably should have put it on my site tonight anyway. But he holds up a silver coin and says, Mr. Bernanke, when you took over the private Federal Reserve, or when you took this over, this this piece of silver here bought six gallons of gasoline. Now this same piece of silver, five years later, buys 11 gallons of gasoline. That's what I consider currency. So they got into a debate about whether you know we should use paper money or gold and silver, and Bernanke always counters with, yes, you can buy and trade gold and silver, but Ron Paul counters with the fact that, yeah, but you're going to have to pay taxes on it, which really this is currency. He holds up the silver piece and says this is currency, not your paper fiat stuff, which he's 100% right, but you know, do the creation of – the private Federal Reserve back in 1913. Now we're in the same situation that that a lot of countries have gone down in the past. So, you know that those two are are really are really good barometers of where we're at as a nation and the and the two two tra- trains of thought, if you will. Got a little tongue tied there, but there's two trains of thought. There's rational thought, and then there's keep doing what we've been doing thought. Now, he even says it himself, if we don't get these tax cuts in line, we're going to be headed for financial for a financial cliff or a fiscal cliff, where in reality we're headed for that cliff either way you slice it. You know, the Fed can play teeter-totter with the stock market all day, and then the, the mainstream media, which is owned by a, a lot of these large mega banks and, and large holding companies, will just come out and talk about how great the, the – the market's doing where really you've got billionaires leaving this country because they they just got a bad feeling they're like this isn't this is unsustainable so so what happens this actually this transitions really well into into the next headline and this is the one that absolutely freaked me out so let's think about it this way what happens when you when you do destroy a currency and you do have economic unrest and you have civil unrest what what happens well anybody that studies history knows that there's a big government clampdown and so when i read this article today and i know i'm i'm hyping it a lot but once again second layer thinking here guys this is not infotainment you have to think beyond what just the headline means you have to think a couple levels deeper and find out why this is even being said. But it was it was in Forbes. It was on Forbes today. And Drudge linked to it. And it's by Republican Representative Marsha Blackburn. 
and God bless Marsha Blackburn, but here's what her headline reads. The TSA is coming to a highway near you. And she basically breaks down the transition of the TSA from the federal bag handlers that they were to the TSO, the Transportation Security Officers, to the Transportation Security Administration, to now having Viper teams, which Viper teams are Homeland Security's visible intermodal prevention response team. And base and and it talks about in the article that they these Viper teams have been running checkpoints all over the United States and specifically in Tennessee, but they've talked about how many they've done in, in Los Angeles. Guys, when you start talking about checkpoints for nothing, not because you know, Jim Bob got over there and, and went haywire and, and shot up his whole family and now there's a big manhunt. We need a checkpoint. This is just random checkpoints. This is borderline Stasi, Nazi Germany. This is not America garbage. You have to realize that. Now, I, I told myself that I wasn't going to get fired up, but this is stuff that you have got to tell everybody about. Hey, they're going to start running checkpoints, guys. They're going to start snatching people out of the cars. And and she go on goes on to talk about how you know, they talk about the TSA as their officers. They're not officers. Do you remember the TSA started out they had they had black pants and they had the light blue shirt or the kind of blue shirt. And now they're talking about how they're giving them black uniforms and these little metal badges. And they're starting to call them officers. And then she mentions at the very end of the article, and this is the creepiest part of all. Anybody that knows anything about history and how the Stasi came into power and what they started doing to people, this is craziness. She says, furthermore, and this is to wrap up the entire article. Furthermore, if Congress fails to act, do not be surprised if the TSA, which is the Transportation Security Administration – Gives these TSOs who are the quote unquote officers. They're not officers. They're not sworn in. They don't have any. They don't have any power. They don't have arrest powers. All they can do is call over a security supervisor, and then the security supervisor can call over the cop. That's all they can do. They can't detain you. They can't. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. So I'm sorry. I'm ranting. So furthermore, if Congress fails to act, don't be surprised if the TSA gives the TSOs another administrative makeover in the future. Only this time it won't be a new uniform. It will be the power to make arrests, as some of the TSOs are already publicly calling for. Imagine that. Imagine you walking through a checkpoint at the airport, getting on your plane, going to your destination – Getting off the plane, going out to your car, getting in your car, going to your friend's house or loved one or whoever you wanted to go visit, and then you got to go through another checkpoint and have these guys grope you again. Are you kidding? And this is all for Al-Qaeda? Really? The, the group that the U.S. government gave Libya, that's who this is for, so we can stop these guys or just terrorists in general. Guys, this war on terror is is pretty phony, and I know that sounds out there, but 
It kind of is. But once again, I'm going to deal with facts, and this is a fact. If these people start having arrest powers, this country is going in a very, very bad direction. So I need to transition off of this topic before I get any more fired up. It looks like we got a a caller on hold here. I'm going to try to pull you up here. Caller, um, state your name and your reason for the call. I would assume that it's probably going to be because of that headline that I just read, but I don't want to assume. Go ahead, state your name, where you're from, and the reason you're calling. Hey, Jake, this is Cole from Athens. Great show, as always. Thank you, sir. So um, so what's on your mind, Cole? Well, I, I like your show a lot. You're doing a great job. I really like the uh, attention that you pay to both economic and civil liberties. I wanted to uh, call in about uh, what you're talking about with the Federal Reserve. I'm also all for, uh, you know, auditing the Federal Reserve and ideally getting rid of it all together. But um, I'd love to uh, hear a show from you on exactly how the process works, which, um, you know, the Federal Reserve uh, takes United States uh, debt in exchange for, uh, in exchange for, uh, you know, adding money to the money supply. Oh yeah, they actually there. That, I mean, they can't just run a printing press. Actually, I think the Treasury does that. But That's I would true. love to, to, to hear an entire show about how exactly that works because I think part of the, the frustration with the Fed is not just that it's taken on uh, American debt and holding that as, as collateral oh, yeah. as it inflates the currency, but it's also taken on some junk debt from overseas, which is something that I don't think it's always done. So That's a pretty dramatic departure from where it was. And I think you're a math guy, so I'm also going to uh, put this question to you. If okay. the inflation of the currency makes prices go up, as we know it does, right? As the money True. supply grows. As the money supply grows, rise, all, yeah. As your money supply grows, all your commodities prices escalate. Yeah, go ahead. So if we were to um, see the day that we actually pay down our debt, one would guess that that would, in turn, shrink the money supply proportionally to how much we've been paying down. What is the zero year for paying down the debt, and what would that do to prices? Would we see prices like they were in 1972 or, or whenever it was that we went off the gold standard? Would we see prices from the first year that we started running deficits? Where would the prices go? How would that affect prices? would love to hear, uh, hear how all that works. Well, th- thanks for calling, Cole. It sounds like you're a you're a pretty informed listener, and um, and this is um, you know this is the kind of information that we do need to talk about. And I, and I'm glad that you raised those points. And I did I did misspeak a little bit where I talked about the Fed Fed prints money. They actually, like you said, they go to the Treasury Department, and then the Treasury Department cranks up the printing press, and so on and so forth. So. The the zero debt, though, that is a great question, and I'll have to do some research, and I'll probably end up doing my Sunday show about that. That's a great idea for a topic because I think that the more educated we are about how our money gets made and how it gets put into circulation and what money really is, money is debt. And he's exactly right. Money is debt to the private Federal Reserve. It is not U.S. currency. You look at your dollar, it doesn't say U.S. Treasury note. It says it says Federal Reserve note. So to give you the quick once-over on how it works, 
and like I said, I'll expand on this later and get into an entire show on it. It's an awesome idea. So what happens is the U.S. government goes to the Federal Reserve and says, we need some money. And then the Fed actually loans us the money, which we pay back to the Fed at interest out of our pocketbook. So Ron Paul's idea of eliminating the private Federal Reserve eliminates not only shrinks the money supply like Cole said and gets it more to an obtainable goal of us becoming you know, financially independent from all these other countries and paying off our debt. But on top of that, it, we don't accrue any interest, and, and that's the killer. Is that we keep the more money he prints, the more interest we owe, and that's a, just a simple fact because that means we're borrowing more money. So great idea for a show. That is great, and so you know that's that's a really good that's a really good segue into the topic for today's show. And I don't have a lot of supporting articles because this is going to be kind of an open discussion. And and it's where do you get your information? How do you get your information? Do you get your information from the mainstream media? Do you get your information from the magic box? So what I wanted to go through tonight and to get everybody to think is is where you get your information, what you're seeing within the information that you're getting, and how that interprets – in your mind, and how you apply that to your day-to-day. Basically, what is I wanted to get into what is your reality. So for most of us, the idea of information and news comes from one of three sources. You have your local news, you have your national news, and you have what I like to call infotainment. Now, if you're like me and grew up a little bit ago, I'm not going to date myself, but if you if you grew up in the times that I did, we were kind of limited in our access as to what kind of information we could get in from the magic box. So our information was coming from either the newspaper or it was coming from the television, but they were usually local stations. And in order for us to get the national news, we would have to watch the World News Tonight or whatever at 7, and, and that's where we would get our our other information. So so people like myself have been conditioned to, you know, typically whatever is on the magic box or whatever is on the television is going to be a semblance of the truth. And and so we kind of got accustomed to that. We, and that's how when I talk about first layer thinking, I think that that's where we really run into a lot of challenges is because first layer thinking is all we're used to. We're used to being able to go in and study the keywords for a test and be able to make an 80 or a 90 on the test and really not know how to understand the entire information that was given. We understand that we can just glance over the news and watch the local the local segments giving us little splashes of what's going on and then flip over to a Fox or a CNN and get the broad picture for about 15, 20 minutes. And now all of a sudden I'm informed. I know what's going on. But do you really? What you've seen transform, and it's been a slow rollout. And these people that that I talk to that that talk about the the machine that is the the mass media or the mainstream media, you really have to look at the way the information gets disseminated from the top down. Who gets to choose? 
who gets to choose what information goes out? Well, that's typically the the producer of the show, and and what they do is they feed the the teleprompters the information, and then you got the the people with their nice suits and their nice looks and their nice smiles, and they read the teleprompter and they get concerned faces when it should be a concerning story, and they get happy faces when it's a cheery story, but. What you're seeing now is news isn't just news anymore. It's becoming more infotainment. It's all becoming infotainment, and it's been a gradual process. It started with stuff like Entertainment Tonight and getting accustomed to to, to longing for celebrities and, and celebrityism and, and wanting to and wanting to be like those people. And and it, it becomes almost it, it it's like voyeuristic. It's like I want to look at somebody else's life and analyze them, and I don't really want to know what's going on in my life because it's much more fun to go in and and just analyze what somebody else is doing. So when you look at the infotainment, you you really start to to pull it back and and take a peek at at what's going on. What do you see nowadays? You see commercials, advertisements, you have product ads. Well, let's talk about some of the ads that you see. You, I mean, now. With the war beating drums that are coming out and and all this Syria talk, which once again I talked about last show, Syria is a stronghold for the Middle East. And you know, once again, not to say Assad's good, but there's a reason that we want to be there. And so, what you're seeing with all the warmongering is you're starting to see a lot of military ads. You guys ever noticed? And you might not have, but I picked it up a long time ago. When the Navy comes out with their ad, remember the whole purpose of having a military is to defend the country. It's not to have preemptive wars. It's not to be the aggressor. It's to be you know, something that protects the borders, that protects the country. And when I see the ad for the U.S. Navy and at the very end it says a global force for good, I straight up brainwashing people. I love my servicemen and women. Believe me, I do. I could never repay you enough for everything that you guys have done. But you see the military-industrial complex, and I know that that's a, that's, a, that's a very strong term, but you do see it. You see how much money we put into our military, and you see all these glamorizing ads coming out, the new movie coming out with just you know showing guys sliding around and, and shooting stuff, and man, that looks cool. And then you got very impressionable young people that are playing Call of Duty, and they're like, wow, that looks just like Call of Duty. That looks like fun. And And you get into a point where everything becomes infotainment. Everything becomes stimuli. And what happens is it trickles down into the society, and it trickles down into the people that that really look at what's going on, and they say, "Wow, this is um, this is really cool. All this, you know, all these explosions and stuff. That's really cool because the American public still has this perception that wars happen somewhere else. Wars never happen in America. They always happen in some faraway land." It's almost like Star Wars. And a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Americans fought wars. Well, that's not the truth at all. So when you see when you see the, the military ads and the empathy ads and stuff like that, it really gets your you gotta get second level thinking again, guys. You gotta get down to the second level and start to really find out what's going on. And at the end of the day, what's going on is 
compartmentalization from the top down, whether it's whether it's the military brass and what you're starting to see is a lot of the military is waking up to this and they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, why are we doing this again? But the compartmentalization has, has gotten in such full – I mean they have just manipulated this society to the nth degree to the point where they have compartmentalized almost everyone. They've compartmentalized you or they compartmentalized your friend to think if I come out and say that the Federal Reserve – this was like five or ten years ago when I used to talk about the Federal Reserve being a, I mean, being a private bank. I knew that was wrong. I learned that in history class. I'm like, that doesn't seem right, and that was a conspiracy theory. You talk about anything else that's, that's not into this – this little bubble that people get accustomed to that's the mainstream media that's the propaganda machine if it's not within that bubble they're so compartmentalized that now I'm the crazy person I'm the crazy person for talking about sound money and I don't mean to sound like it's crazy but it really is it's it's that you've all gotten sold so well that you can't distinguish or can't discern what's What's really going on and what's the compartmentalization factor in it? So the one thing I do want to touch on very quick, and we're almost out of time here, is that – think about this for a second. What you've seen over the last few years is the individual is first. Look at bands. They're not any bands anymore. They're all, they're all, um, they're all stars. Everybody's American Idol and all that stuff. There's no more groups. There's no more duets. There's none of that. Everybody's an individual. It's a destruction of our society. They're pulling us apart and looking at us on an individual level, and that's the way they want you to think. They want you to be individualistic. They don't want you to have interaction with one another. And the, and the reason that they want this is because it's easy to control people that are self-centered. If you want the truth, you got to seek the truth. And that's why I'm going to say at the end of every show, get informed, get a friend, and get involved, everybody. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for listening.